Hello and welcome to Narrative, a journey into the ancient art of storytelling. A place to gather by the fire and share the stories of our ancestors. A place to gather and tell our own tales. Here we will explore legends, fairy tales, myths, and folklore. We'll have conversations around archetypes, history, theology, and the ancient mysteries, as well as having discussions on how it all pertains to our lives. Before carvings or hieroglyphs or written word, our ancestors kept their stories alive through oral tradition. In honoring them, I too want to continue this path. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, Mary Rogers. In the first days when everything needed was brought into being, in the first days when everything needed was properly nourished, when bread was baked in the shrines of the land and bread was tasted, in the homes of the land, when heaven had been separated from earth and mankind was created, when the sky god An had carried off the heavens and the air god Enlil had carried off the earth, when the queen of the great below was given the underworld for her domain. Enki, the god of wisdom, set sail for the underworld. His ship was tossed and his sail torn from wind and tide and large hailstones pelted and hurled against him. And the waters of the sea devoured his ship like wolves, and the wind howled and roared like a lion. Planted along the banks of the Euphrates River stood a mighty tree, and as the storm raged, it pulled at its roots and ripped through its branches. Uprooting the tree, it was carried by the river. Inanna happened across the tree, and pulling it from the river, she decided to replant it in her sacred garden with the hopes of one day carving a bed and a throne from its spine. The years passed, three years, and then five, and then ten, and the tree grew mighty and stoic. The trunk was massive, and yet it continued to grow upward and outward, but its bark did not split. And a serpent dragon made its home at the base of the tree, and a zoo bird built a nest and raised its young in the crown canopy atop the branches of the tree. And in the center, the dark maiden Lilith built her home within its trunk. In her despair, Inanna called upon Gilgamesh, who struck the serpent down with his bronze axe. And in the chaos, the zoo bird fled with his young to the mountains. And Lilith smashed her home and fled to the wild, uninhabited places. This particular story of Lilith is from the 12th tablet from ancient Sumer in the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Halupa Tree. Considered to be the oldest female deity ever recorded, while Lilith first appeared in this tale, she was also later mentioned in the Bible and Talmud. In many tales, she's considered to be the first woman and first wife of Adam, predating Eve. In Genesis 1 verse 26, the King James Bible says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And in verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created both male and female. And then we come to Genesis 2. It tells a very similar story, but specifies in verse 7, that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And then we fast forward to verse 21 through 23. 
And the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and from this rib he created a woman. And Adam said, She is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In Genesis 1, it states that a man and a woman were created on the same day. In Genesis 2, Adam had already been created. He was tending the garden. He had already been warned about the tree of knowledge. And it was later that God created a woman to be his helpmeet so that Adam wouldn't be alone. Because we have these two seemingly different accounts, and because many believe the word of God is infallible, many scholars have argued that these two stories are not contradictory. That instead of having two different accounts of the same events, that Genesis 1 and 2 are actually recounting two separate events. The alphabet of Ben Surah is one of the earliest, most complicated, and most sophisticated Hebrew stories written in the Middle Ages, sometime between 700 to 1000 AD. And it echoes the same sentiment that many scholars and scribes seem to agree upon, that when Adam and Lilith were created, neither would submit to the other. You know, many have related the submission to copulation, while others believe it has to do with their relational dynamics, a power struggle for dominance. And it's said that because neither would concede, Lilith grew tired and grew wings. Some say that in her departure from Eden, she called out the true name of God and was then instantly transformed into a winged demon. It's important to also note that in antiquity, a demon did not necessarily define something evil, something bad. A demon was simply the term given to a spirit or a deity. And I have to say that this story of Lilith, I mean, can you picture it? She grew tired of arguing, maybe dealing with Adam's mood swings, this power struggle, an inability to step into her own. The divine masculine didn't hold space for her. He never allowed her to show up as herself, to speak her sovereign truth as an embodied goddess, to rule the garden in unity side by side, not just as husband and wife, but as king and queen, as equals. And the conflict was so great that she grew herself a pair of wings and said, you know what, F this, I'm out. It was so agitating and weighed on her soul so much that she left the beauty and the perfection, the safety and the security. She left paradise to fly away into the great unknown. And I think of a woman, a woman who really loves herself, a woman who knows her self-worth, absent of codependency, domestication, social conditioning, A woman who trusts herself, believes in herself. A woman so brave and courageous that she would rather be alone, traverse the unknown. And somewhere rooted deep within her soul, she knew she could take care of herself. But what she wasn't going to do was put up with this mess, just so she could remain in paradise and not be alone. Her happiness meant everything to herself. Now in this story, it is said that when Lilith left, the angels pursued her in hopes of bringing her back, but she declared that she had no intention of returning. Isaiah 34:14 mentions Lilith, and it's the only time her actual name is recorded in the Bible. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. It is here Lilith shall lie back and find for herself a place of rest. In other versions, variations, or or maybe translations of the Bible, she's simply referred to as a screech owl. Now we do know Lilith is very closely associated with snakes and owls. There actually exists an ancient Sumerian relief. It's known as the burning relief, and it depicts Lilith with wings and the feet or claws of a bird or an owl. 
Owls represent wisdom. And you know, others have actually likened Lilith to the harpy eagle, which I would really encourage you to Google if you've never seen one, because these giant birds actually resemble humans. And as far as being associated with snakes, many of the ancient serpent priestesses, otherwise known as sacred prostitutes, are said to have served Inanna and performed sex rites, or what we would now call sex magic, because it's said that in this erotic, orgasmic state, that the serpent priestess could open portals in the quantum realms. And what's interesting is that in many of her tales, Lilith is closely associated with Inanna, just as the serpent priestesses or sacred prostitutes were. Some have even said that Lilith was Inanna's companion and handmaiden. And in the tale of Gilgamesh with the Halupa tree, we once again find Lilith in close proximity to Inanna. In mythology, snake or serpent symbology, it represents magic, womb priestesses, sacred prostitutes, fertility, procreation, wisdom, death, resurrection, transformation, and regeneration. And in the earliest mystery schools, or the schools of mysticism, the symbol of the word was the serpent. And this kind of gives a new meaning to John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God, and the word was with God. And if we replace the word with serpent, it would read, In the beginning was the serpent, and the serpent was with God, and the serpent was God. And this is really fascinating to me. If we go back to the second episode of narrative, In the Temperament of the Old Gods, in which I recounted the ancient Sumerian story of the Anunnaki, and how Enki, the god of wisdom, was said to be reptilian in his appearance. Now, in most references, Lilith has been demonized in the worst sense. Many consider her to be evil. She's often referred to as a succubus, and in many tales, she was a monster that plagued women during their pregnancy, and she could often, or would often, cause the mothers to miscarry. It was also said that she would steal children, drink their blood, suck their bone marrow, and gnaw on whatever remained. And it's because of those tales that Lilith is actually said to be the first vampire. So kind of an interesting fact. Historically, stories of Lilith really began to flourish in the Middle Ages, between the 5th and late 15th century. And in the Middle Ages, they had tuberculosis of the neck and lymph nodes, which was believed to have been different from tuberculosis of the lungs. And in those days of superstition, most believed that tuberculosis was caused by vampires drinking the blood of the afflicted. In fact, archaeologists have actually dug graves that were dated around the 16th century, where the deceased had a vampire burial, which is very interesting. You can look up. It's something they actually put like wrought iron around them. A lot of times they would actually remove body parts. Um, it, was, it was kind of grotesque. I'm not really going to go into the full details. But what's interesting is that with today's technology, scientists have actually been able to identify the cause of death being tuberculosis. So it's really fascinating to me how Lilith's story becomes so deeply enmeshed with vampiric lore and tuberculosis. I also came across a few stories that say as a succubus, Lilith would often visit men in their sleep and she would steal their sperm in order to conceive her baby demons or her baby vampires. And in all honesty, I couldn't help but giggle because back then people were very reserved and contained, um, sort of Puritan in nature. And sex or anything around that was considered very private. 
you know, back then we were a very repressed society. There was a lot of shame around nudity and sexuality, which made me wonder if this story was actually made up as a way to explain nocturnal emissions, because there is no way a Puritan in the religious sense, you know, would ever admit to having a wet dream or a fantasy. Because, you know, back then it was all about the sin of adultery. One couldn't lust. Otherwise, you know, eternal hellstone and brimfire. And I don't know. I just don't really believe that Lilith was evil in the sense that, like these two stories portray about her being a vampire or her stealing men's sperm in their sleep. She became demonized in an evil sense because she represented the empowered, fiercely independent woman that bowed to no man the wild woman, the dark goddess. And she became this villainized representation of a liberated woman. Her story was meant to place fear in the hearts of women so they would comply, submit, and obey. So this would be considered a cautionary tale, a warning. But for those of us on this path, we know and understand that liberation does not heed a warning. In fact, when we are independent and sovereign, when we trust ourselves, believe in ourselves, when we stand up for ourselves and we know our self-worth, when we understand that we are not defined by anyone else on this planet, that when we embody the wild, fierce, and dark aspects of the goddess, we become an unstoppable force. We are the embodiment of the divine feminine, pure source energy. With the ability to open quantum realms, we are destruction and we are creation. We carry the cosmos within our wombs, the portal from which all life begins. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Narrative. If you were moved by today's episode and are looking forward to future broadcasts, be sure to hit subscribe. And as always, likes and shares are always appreciated and donations are always welcome. I had a great time with you today and I can't wait to be with you again next week. Yours truly, XOXO, Mary Rogers.